Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you all. Thank you to the elders for this opportunity to share the word with you this morning. Aiden, you messed with my stand. Sorry. Sorry. I'm not as tall as you. Some of us are vertically challenged, but anyway. Okay. So, now that I can see everyone properly. As we know, we're in the series through the book of Mark, and it's inviting us to step into God's story. And last week, Steve spoke about and preached on the way that Jesus calmed the storm in Mark 4. And this week, I'm going to be covering Mark 5. So if you want to turn to Mark 5, we're going to get started at verse 1. But while you're turning there, we're going to use the end of Mark 4 as our launching pad for this morning. I love how God speaks. And he has already spoken through the prophetic words and through the worship that has happened this morning. And honestly, I just feel like I'm adding a little bit on to the end of what he has already been saying. He's been talking to us about the power in his name, about the fact that Jesus is the king and he's the ultimate authority and that we need to expand our view of him. And these are all things I'm gonna be covering today. So let's quickly look at Mark 4, and towards the end, this is after Jesus has calmed the storm with just his words alone. And if we take it from verse 41, and these are the disciples, and he says, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this? Steve started off the series asking us the question, who is Jesus to you? And we see this question come up again now from the disciples who have just witnessed God doing something that only God can do, and in light of that new revelation, they ask the question, who is this? He's not just human, he's just not, not just a teacher or a prophet, there's something different about him. And perhaps you're here today and you're asking the same question. You're wondering, why are all these people standing here raising their arms and singing songs to this person, Jesus? Who is that? Or perhaps you've known Jesus for a long time and you believe in him, but your experiences of God have shaped your view of God. And you've allowed that to kind of guide who you think God is. This morning, my prayer is that Jesus would be revealed through his living word and that he would be given his rightful place in all his glory and all his splendor and that we would comprehend as much as a human mind can comprehend the power that is in Jesus. Before we get there though, I would like you to imagine for a moment that I sent you a text. And the text read this. Just picked my parents up for, from the airport. My mom took one look at me and said, you're enormous. Matt just smiled and said, yes, she is. <laughs> what uh, would your response to that be? Would you say, oh my goodness, that is so rude. Or I can't believe Matt just stood there and agreed with her. Or maybe your response is, I have Indian parents too. That sounds about right. <laughs> They're generally very tactless. But what if I were to put that text in its appropriate context? And by the way, that text is based on real events. <laughs> so what if I were to tell you that that text was sent about six years ago when I was nine months pregnant with my son 
And my mom was flying from South Africa to help me while I was going in for my C-section. Early in my pregnancy, I had been exposed to Zika. Remember, it was around before COVID. And there was concern that my son had developed Zika and had a small head, something called microcephaly. So I had had multiple ultrasounds throughout the course of my pregnancy to ensure that his growth was normal. So the fact that I was enormous in belly size, I'd like to stipulate that, <laughs> um, was actually an answer to months and months of prayer. And it was a good thing because it showed that he was developing normally. Context is everything, especially when we are reading the Bible. Scripture was written by humans under the influence and guiding of the Holy Spirit. So scripture has a duality to it. It's like a double-edged sword. There is an immediate meaning from the author to the people that he is sending the letter or recounting an experience to, and it's for those people in that time, in that geographical region, in that culture. But because the Holy Spirit inspires scripture and guides scripture, there is also an application or a transcendent truth to those of us outside of that culture, outside of that geography and outside of that timeline. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Isn't that amazing? As we search scripture, scripture searches us. It's living and active. So if we don't take the time to look at the context of scripture, we may fall short just at the truth that is situational, given to those people in that time. And we will lose the life-giving truth of application to ourselves here in this time. So with that in mind, with that idea of context, let's turn now to Mark 5. We're gonna start in verse one, and we're gonna seek to answer the question this morning through God's word of who is Jesus? Who is this? Start in verse one, and it'll be up on the screen behind me, but follow along if you do have a book or device that you follow in. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, or the Gadarenes in some translations, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately they met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. We just spoke about today, falling down before Jesus. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. 
So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. That's kind of weird, right? <laughs> you have a man who is possessed and wandering around a cemetery, cutting himself, and then you have this event of what can only be described as mass piggy suicide, <laughs> as they all jump off the side of a cliff. I mean, in any context, that should really just be crazy. But actually, in the context that we find ourselves in, it wasn't that absurd. Let's look at it in terms of geography. The Gerasenes or the Gadarenes were a region across the Sea of Galilee to the south and east of where Jesus had been in Capernaum. And as he crosses the Sea of Galilee, Jesus, Galilee, sorry, Jesus is entering what is mostly a pagan or non-Jewish Gentile area. Hence the reason why there were pigs which wouldn't be allowed in a Jewish area. And so the culture of that non-Jewish area was a mix of Greek and Roman theology. And in the Greek worldview, possessions are common. Because if we look behind us and look at my wonderful artistry, as you can see there, I, I really hate technology. Um, so according to the Greek worldview, the world was separated by the heavens and the earth. And on the earth are humans who are powerless little beings, and up in the heavens are multiple gods and multiple deities who basically are very fickle beings. So if they're in a bad mood, they'll smite you with leprosy, and if they're in a good mood, they may bless you with a good harvest. And basically there is zero connection between the gods in the heavens and the people here on earth. The only way people could in somehow communicate with or have any kind of contact with the gods in the heavens was through the spiritual realm, which was between the heavens and humans. And the spiritual realm contained various types of spirits or demons with various levels of power that you had to somehow convince to act on your behalf to convince the God to do something for you. So in those days, it was very much everything that happened to you was based on some kind of spiritual thing. So if you were, had infertility, you had to somehow invoke a spirit in the middle to then call on the God of fertility to heal your infertility. Or if you had a bad harvest, you would have to appeal to the God of the harvest. And so these spirits, because they had different powers, in order to get rid of a spirit that may be tormenting you, you had to call on a spirit that had a stronger power or a stronger name than the one that was tormenting you. The best way I can describe this, it's almost like a game of spiritual Pokemon. Because we have all these different Pokemon cards and the biggest Pokemon character wins. I drive carpools, so this is where I get my information from. <laughs> and so it really is, whoever was the strongest spirit with the strongest name was the winner. And that person would have the greatest power. 
And that person would be able to then call on the God who would do whatever you wanted done. And it's into this spiritual Pokemon context that Jesus enters. And what does he do? He, with his own voice, goes up to the man and says, come out of him, you unclean spirit. He doesn't call on the name of anyone else. He doesn't cast a spell or try and implore something else with more power than him to act for him. He does it with his words alone. And he asks the question, what is your name? It's not as though Jesus needs to know his name. He asks this for the benefit of those watching because when he says, my name is Legion, a legion is three to 6,000. This is not a fair fight. This is not one-on-one. -on -one. This is Jesus against 6,000 demons. He doesn't shrink back. He simply says, come out of him. Now, in order to understand why they were afraid, we need to understand the fact that this worldview that they held was as widely known as gravity is to us. That's just the way the world functioned. So them seeing Jesus command something without invoking the name of something else was as though I were to say to you, gravity isn't a thing and started levitating right now. <laughs> that would blow your minds. This is what had happened to them. Their worldview was blown away. Because now, not only was God separated high up in the heavens, kind of toying with humans on earth, but he was actually standing in front of them, setting someone free. In our cultural context here, in our Western culture, we've gone a little bit to the other extreme, where they were entirely focused on everything is due to a spirit and that's the only explanation. We've gone a little bit in this way in that there isn't really a spiritual realm and everything can be explained through science. And we need to understand that that's actually not what Scripture says. Scripture is clear that our battle isn't just against the things that we can see and touch and feel, not just against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and against spiritual strongholds. If we think about Daniel and the Prince of Persia, there was a spiritual stronghold there at play, which was influencing the world. So where does that leave us as believers in Jesus? in a place of fear and trembling because we are subject to these forces over which we have no control? Is everything that happens to us as a result of a demonic attack? The answer is yes and no. So for an example, if I had a patient who came to me and they had a headache and they had a sinus infection and I gave them some antibiotics, the next patient who came to me and told me they had a headache, if I just gave them a whole course of antibiotics, would be doing them a disservice because there's multiple things that can be causing a headache. Just like in this world, things can happen to people as a result of being in a fallen world and there being death and disease, or it can be from spiritual opposition or demonic oppression. But we don't need to be fearful because whatever the cause, we know that Christ within us, the hope of glory, can overcome it. John 1 verse 4, 4 says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. When you put your faith in Jesus, his spirit dwells within us and we do not need to fear the opposition that comes our way, no matter what the root causes. 
C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So while in Western culture we may not ascribe to the Greek view of everything being spiritual, we do have a little bit of a holdover from that in that we can sometimes think of God as separate from us, unknowable, impersonal. We can sometimes feel that there is no way to actually relate to God and that he doesn't really care about us as he sits up there in heaven. But is that the way God created the world? The gospel radically transforms the construct of the Greek worldview. And we're gonna see it on a slide just now, but we need to understand that when Jesus came to earth in human form, he was God coming down from heaven to be with us. And this coming down from heaven is what has completely destroyed that separation between man and God. And that was always the way God intended for his world to be. From the moment of creation, God infused his life and his spirit and his breath into humankind and creation. Not so that they could be kept separated from him, but so that they could be in intimate relationship with him. And the only way to that intimate relationship with God the Father is through his son. Because sin entered the world when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and that sin separated us as people from a holy God. And so a price had to be paid for that sin so that that sin could be washed away and counted not against us anymore. And Jesus came to earth in human form. He died on a cross, a torturous death, to take away that consequence of sin and separation. And that sin that has been dealt with in Jesus, it now has been dealt with for all time, for every person who will ever be born and has ever been born, which means that every single one of us can have intimate relationship with God. And when Jesus left this earth and was resurrected from death because he conquered death itself, he sent us who? The Holy Spirit. And if you wanna to listen to an awesome preach about the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to listen to Tyron's preach from two, about two, three weeks ago. I won't be able to go into it now. But the Holy Spirit is as much God as Jesus is and as God the Father. And he is with those of us who put our faith in Jesus. He is God with us. We no longer have to experience the separation from our creator anymore. We can be in intimate relationship with him. Can I say that being spiritual is not a substitute to having a relationship with Jesus? Having an awareness that there is God and there is a spiritual realm is not a substitute. Because when you are submitted to nothing, you are in fact subject to everything. N.T. Wright says this, Jesus is the reality of which paganism possessed only a parody. That construct that we saw of the Greek worldview and people being separated, 
that doesn't have to be you and I anymore. We can be in intimate relationship with God the Father. So now that we understand the context of this passage of scripture, what is the transcendent or truth that is applicable to us that is not dependent on the context that it was given to originally? There's probably a thousand things we can pull out from this, but the one thing that I wanted to share about today is the power of the name of Jesus. And it's come through in the worship, it's come through in the prophetic words, so it's really something that I feel God wants us to take a hold of this morning. He is the ultimate authority. He is the name above every name. We see that in Philippians 2, verse 9 to 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. That should make us tremble. We have access to the power of the name of Jesus because those of us who believe in Jesus are in Christ. This man had been in bondage. He had been chained, he had been shackled. He was standing there cutting himself, completely, completely devoid of hope. And Jesus crosses the sea to get to him. And he sets him free. That is the God we serve. What situation in your life do you need to declare the name of Jesus over today with understanding of the power and authority that comes with that name? So let's quickly move to the rest of the chapter of Mark 5. I'm not going to read the rest of it, so don't worry. I'm gonna summarize what happens for the sake of time. Jesus then leaves that area, crosses back over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and when he arrives there, a synagogue ruler by the name of Jairus comes to him and asks him, can you come heal my daughter who's so sick she's about to die? He agrees and he's on his way to Jairus' house when within the crowd, a woman who has been suffering from the discharge of blood for 12 years touches his robe. And as she touches his robe, Jesus feels power leaving him and asks, who touched me? Because instantly as she touches his robe with faith that she can be healed, she is healed. And when Jesus asks this question, who touched me? She fears that she's going to be exposed. And she almost is anticipating condemnation. And we'll look at why in a moment. But Jesus doesn't meet her with condemnation. Instead, he calls her daughter and tells her that her faith has made her well. As he's approaching Jairus' house, someone comes out of the household and tells him, it's too late, don't worry, don't come, the girl has already died. And in that moment of what can only be described as probable desperation and fear in her father, he says to that father, do not fear, only believe. Then he goes into that house and in the presence of Peter and James and the girl's parents, he raises this girl from the dead. Pretty cool. <laughs> Don't think many of us can say that that was our day today. When we look at this passage in its context, we can see that Jesus is now back in a predominantly Jewish area. 
And one of the things that the Jewish people believed was that in order to be in God's presence, you had to be holy. And in order to be holy, you had to keep yourself separate from the culture around you, which wasn't a bad idea since the culture around you taught that there were multiple gods and you had to worship idols. So they were trying to keep themselves from being unsoiled by that culture. In order to do so, they took it to an extreme and followed many laws called purity laws. And if you happened to break any of these laws, you were considered unclean. You had to go and um, engage in a process of ritual baths and be uh, presented to a priest to say that you were clean again so that you could go back into the temple. And the temple was where you met with God. It was where God's presence rested. And so if you were somehow excluded from the temple because of uncleanness, you were excluded from the presence of God. So many of these laws can be seen in the books of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, but there are four main points or main areas of contact that made someone unclean. So either if you came into contact with these areas or if someone who had these diseases touched you, you were considered unclean and you couldn't go to the temple. They were contact with Gentiles, contact with someone with skin disease, contact with cemeteries or dead bodies, or contact with someone with bodily discharges. Oh dear, I think Jesus has a problem. As you can see, he has been in contact with all four of these categories. He sits at the table with Gentiles. He just healed a Gentile man who had demons. He heals a man with leprosy. He's just been in a cemetery to release someone from demons. He has just touched the dead body of a girl to raise her from the dead. And a woman with a bodily discharge has just touched him. Into this context, Jesus is showing people that holiness doesn't come from the law or from works. It comes from him and him alone. He is the one who is our righteousness. He is the one who is our purity. And he does not shun those who are not pure. He comes for everybody. His purity is what cleanses us and gives us access to God through him. God does not dwell in a temple. God walks among us in the form of Jesus. There are no barriers to Jesus. This is just a side note, but I thought it was a fun fact that they said that the girl is 12 years old and the woman has been suffering with a discharge of bleeding for 12 years. Why the number 12? Because 12 describes the 12 tribes of Israel and represents the completeness of the chosen ones of God. So it represents that everyone is now able to become a chosen one of God. It is not just for the tribes of Israel anymore. Whether you're someone who is bleeding and ostracized socially and low in stature, or someone who is a young girl from a rich household, everyone can be the chosen one of God. So what is the transcendent truth or application to us now? It's simply this, there are no barriers to Jesus. If you feel ashamed or unworthy or unclean, maybe from something you have done or something that someone has done to you, the answer is not to try and make yourself holy before you come to God or to cleanse yourself of the things that you feel have sullied you in any way. The answer is to run to Jesus because he is running to you. 
and he is not perturbed by anything you have done. Both the woman with the issue of bleeding and the father of the girl who had died put a faith demand on Jesus. They trusted him to do something that only he could do. Are we putting expectations on Jesus or a faith requirement on Jesus in keeping with who he really is? If you have a 60 watt light bulb and you plug it into a 6,000 watt circuit, that light bulb is only ever gonna shine at 60 watts. If we have access to a 6,000 watt circuit, why are we plugging in 60 watt light bulbs? My son Ephraim was diagnosed with a peanut allergy when he was nine months old. And when he was first diagnosed, I prayed with such faith that he would be healed. I prayed knowing that in Jesus' name he was gonna be completely healed and this was not gonna be an issue. And the first year that we did his labs to check whether or not his allergy levels had gone down, they, had, they were unchanged. He wasn't healed. And year after year, I continued to pray and trust and year after year, it came back unchanged. And over the years, I've noticed that there has been shift, a shift in my prayers. I stopped praying that God would heal him and started praying that God would protect him, that he would not be exposed to peanuts, and that if he were exposed, that he would be safe. It's a subtle shift, but it's a shift in my thinking of what God was able to do, and more importantly, what I thought God wanted to do. We've heard this morning that God is willing and able to do the things that we ask of him in his mighty name. What have you perhaps declared in your life as terminal, chronic, inevitable? What situation have you said to God is unsalvageable? God is willing and able because his name is the name above every name and we have access to that. So who is this that we are talking to? Jesus is God. He is the Lord and ultimate authority over the supernatural, over the natural, and over death itself. You might ask me, Sheetal, how can you say that God or Jesus is Lord over death when Christians die? We don't live forever. Death, simply put, is the absence of life which might seem quite logical. But when humans were created, we were created not just as flesh and blood, but we were created as beings with spirits. And when that spirit within us is not in contact with the creator of that spirit, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, that spirit is dead within us. And it's only when we are in relationship with Jesus that spirit can come to life within us again. And it's without that life-giving relationship with God that we live a life that we are not intended to live. God intended for us to be alive in flesh and alive in Him because it's our spirit within us that never dies. It's our spirit that will go on when our mortal bodies have gone. 
to be in relationship with God, in unity with him. God is not unknowable. God is very much knowable. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus in order to know him and go from death to life. I wonder if I could have the worship team come up and um, the ministry team, the elders, deacons, and life group leaders. This morning, we're gonna do something a little bit different. Usually, we offer people the opportunity to respond to Jesus for the first time and put their faith in Jesus by raising their hands where they're sitting. I'm gonna ask if all of us could stand right now. And while every eye is closed, I wanna give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus.